0: This is a podcast from Camden Community Radio.
1: For more information and to volunteer,
0: email info at ccradio.org.
1: I want to find out all about your uh, journey to university and uh, how you ended up there. Could you just say your name and introduce yourself?
0: I'm Marion Larragui and I was born in Dublin in 1957. My dad was a waiter. Uh, in a hotel. And uh, my mother had worked in hotels when she, but uh, once she got married and had a few children, she always worked at home then. She had nine children.
1: So, so. how do you think, how do you describe your background? Do you think it is a working class Irish family or how do you think of yourself? Oh, I
0: suppose we don't use the, the class terminology quite the same way, but um, the area that we lived in would have been classed as uh, working class, lower middle class. mm mm-hmm. Um, but because Ireland was an independent state that was kind of changing, there was a lot of uh, aspiration for everybody to have things and um, there was what we thought of as a revolution in 1966 when they introduced something called free second level education and alongside of that was uh, grants for university if you reached a certain level Uh, in your leaving certificate at second level education, the equivalent of A levels you could automatically qualify for a grant uh, which would give you some money towards maintenance uh, you know to buy your books and Pay your bus fares and those kind of things. And um, at the time, it was regarded as huge. My parents both left school after primary school, and really until three or four years before I left primary school, a lot of the people in our neighbourhood would have left, and the girls would have gone and done secretarial courses, shorthand and typing, and uh, looked for jobs in you know factories or offices in town or something. Left at what age? They would have left at well, the official school leaving age was fourteen, mm. so most of them would have left. Uh, school by then and um, maybe they'd have gone at 13 to do a secretarial course and then that began to change and that was just huge socially and very much my father's attitude was look as long as um, as long as we can kind of manage if any of you get uh, the wherewithal to go to university and you're doing okay at school you can go we'll help you. You know so that the attitude really was that education's a good thing and that um, yeah
1: fantastic uh, so you're you if any of you so did you have brothers and sisters
0: I did up? I had older brothers and sisters so my eldest brother told me that he took a job because he could feel that my parents were kind of praying that he would, uh, rather than go to university, the next one got a scholarship to university because he was there before grants and the one after that got a grant and he kind of went through fairly quickly and uh, became a teacher. And then the next person, the next brother left school at 16 and he kind of did an apprenticeship in the textile business and, and that was his route to things. Um, So by the time it got to me, I was the sixth child. I got the grant and um, I decided, of course, I would try, I would go, but I hadn't got a clue. Um, I was offered a place at Trinity College, which was perhaps the best college, but I didn't understand that. Um, And I didn't really talk to anybody about it. I just chopped and changed until eventually I ended up on a course in studying what was called commerce, which is what we would call business and financial management studies, really. So after a while in that, I realised it wasn't for me and I sort of dropped out.
1: So what age, so how old were you? So when you got the grant, how old were you? 17. 17. And so you knew, what what made you decide that you were going to go to university?
0: I hadn't a clue what else to do. I had worked in, from the age of 14, I worked in Woolworths in the summer and uh, at weekends sometimes and various other kinds of places like cafes and stuff for the summer. And I knew that I didn't want to be doing that all the time. You know, it was too hard on your feet and all that kind of stuff. And it was interesting. I was kind of interested in the world and the things you learned at school.
1: Did you have a, a a vision of what you wanted to be or a dream? I mean, growing up, what did you want to be? Around the age of 15, 16, did you want to be a... a, a, a Secretly,
0: I wanted to be a psychiatrist, but I didn't dare mention that out loud. I thought that would be just too ridiculous. And um, I didn't know anybody who was a doctor or anything like that. Um, maybe when I was a smaller child, I thought I'd be uh, a nurse. Um, I sort of went through secondary school assuming that I might be a teacher. And uh, really, I was at university before I discovered that people were other things, like lawyers and scientists worked in places. And I really had no idea what people did.
1: It's interesting that you secretly wanted to be a psychiatrist. Yeah. Where where did that come from? I don't
0: know. Probably watching Hitchcock films or something. (laughs) I don't know. Perhaps it was the era. You know, people used to talk about Freud and all those kind of things. And I guess when you're young, you're curious and you think you know things and you're interested in things. And I just thought, well... Yeah, I could be quite good at that, really.
1: And so your older brother, Mm -hmm. he didn't go. So he got a job, your oldest brother. What what job did he go for?
0: So he got an apprenticeship as an accountant. So he moved off then into high finance sort of stuff over the years, yeah.
1: But you feel that he made that, or he told you he made that decision because he felt that that was his parents? Yeah,
0: he sort of would have quite liked to go to university, but he didn't have any particular ambition. And I I mean, I can recall my mother having chats with neighbours who had children, you know, and they'd be kind of making the same kind of decisions. And they'd say, oh, Mrs, you know, you should put him in the post office. There's great money. It's great security. They get a good pension there. And uh, so I suppose it it was people were just kind of trying to find out what was going. I know that when he went for the job, he was was asked at school did he have any relatives who lived anywhere else other than the place we lived in which was called Finglas which I think was a great place and it produced all kinds of interesting people over time but anyway at that time apparently it had a bit of a reputation as a working class area and uh, so he said yes he had an aunt who lived in the North Circular Road and he was told to use her name and address which he did do and he got the job so he said that once he kind of finished his training i think it was about six or seven years and he got a job in a place where he had some authority he always used to say you know nobody's application is to be rejected on the basis of their address everybody's to be given a you know an entry as it were everybody's to be given a chance let's see what they can do so that kind of thing makes you aware of what's there
1: so you, both your mum and your dad left it very open for you kids that there was this grant and you could if you if you felt that you wanted to and if you got the grades you were free to go for it. I mean it must have still been a bit of a financial burden for yeah. the family to send you to university. Yes.
0: And and my mother wasn't really very keen for me to go. She thought I'd be too interested in sex, drugs and drink. And uh she certainly dissuaded my younger sister from going but my father was much more of the view that if you have the you know the intellectual whatever they say you need to have you mm-hmm. should go
1: and if you look at the your friends who you were growing up with in similar family the same area Was was that a typical view? Most of my friends
0: didn't go to university. Most of them went to work or, say, two of them uh, would have gone into offices and trained in what was called contometers then, just prior to computers, Um, mostly in the finance sections of of offices and stuff, which would mean that they were kind of bright, but... um, The other two, um, went abroad as au pairs, you know, to different countries, Spain and Sweden, and they would have spent some time kind of, um, you know, just being there and learning about Mm -hmm. it and whatever, and then came back and took jobs, um. In the school I went to, lots of girls could have qualified to go to university, but um, not that many went. So it was still a hard thing for people to do, partly because, yes, your family would have to forego your wages. Uh, You know, and some of my friends used to say to me, you know, you're terrible, you should go to work and you should this. But I just felt I didn't really quite know what I wanted to do. Maybe I thought I might write.
1: Can you unpack that a bit? What they meant you were terrible, terrible way?
0: Because I was terrible because I was um doing what i wanted to do rather than doing what i ought to do so i ought to you see they also thought i ought to settle down get a boyfriend and eventually plan to get married which i didn't realize at the time i think that i was a lesbian but um something obviously in me knew that i didn't quite fit what was being lined up and that was one of the wonderful things about going to university before i dropped out um 1975 was International Women's Year and there were all kinds of meetings and talks and discussions about um, women's rights. And in the course of that, I heard people talking about being lesbian and gay and whatever. And gradually the penny started to drop and I began to meet people who then really, I suppose, structured my social options. And from then on, my life changed quite a lot.
1: Well, that is amazing. So the university for you really was a life changing Experience Absolutely. because it was so you said it right at the start that the grant was a revolutionary change, so you're making it sound like uh 60s Ireland was a kind of uh, wonderful, egalitarian place where everyone had the same opportunities. I mean, is that right? Do you think it was a bit of that?
0: It's funny you should say that because this is the 100th anniversary of the first Doyle being set up in Ireland, and I just listened to the Irish president read something from. 100 years ago declaring that the children should have rights and freedoms and all kinds of stuff and over the years um, there have been all kinds of scandals about the way children were treated in children's homes and the way women were treated in mother and baby homes and Magdalene laundries Um, but at the same time there was this great ambition to do things and this introducing of what would be called we called it we referred to it as free education although our parents used to say it's not really free because you have to pay for so many things Uh, but we saw that as, as wonderful and um, whereas Ireland wasn't able to imitate the NHS when it came in here in the 40s, um, they did manage really to follow what had been the Education Act, I think, of 48 here, which made a second and third level education accessible to ordinary people. So they managed to follow that. And I think that was a source of great pride, partly because lots of people, young people mobilised and organised for it, you know, and lobbied. And if you recall, you probably far too young to know but um, around that time you had the black civil rights movement in America and the anti-apartheid movement in South Africa and the anti-Vietnam War and hippiedom and various kinds of countercultural movements that were all talking about a very different kind of world. You know that song I'd like to teach the world to sing. It became the Coca Cola ad. It was Melanie's song. It was famous for saying, um, I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. And in the Coca Cola ad, they used to have people from all different nations on the earth all dancing and singing this song. Now, that we take for granted now, but that then was so novel. It was unheard of. And so there was a whole lot of, um, I suppose, hope in the world and a sense that the world was changing. The United Nations was was kind of had come into existence and the Universal Declaration of Human Rights was there. A lot of countries were decolonizing. Mm. You know, we knew the Congo, Ghana, all these places. Okay, so you do make
1: it sound very positive, but then you say that most of your friends didn't go and your brother, older brother, didn't go. So although, so it's
0: not... So I was privileged. I mean, I was lucky.
1: Well, not making it too personal about you, but so although there might have been something in the air for a lot of people there wasn't... It still wasn't wasn't
0: everything. No, no, it wasn't for... And I suppose in the way now in this country, uh, lots of people go to university, uh, a lot more than used to do, but they also end up carrying a lot of debt. So, um, yes, I suppose all these things are um, complicated, aren't they? Like what do you study or what do you do or what happens to you, yeah.
1: Well last uh, one, you mentioned in passing nuns, so Mm. can you tell me about the nuns and what did they want you to do? Do you remember anything about
0: that? Well all schools in Ireland, almost all schools were Catholic schools and many of them were run by religious orders but in fact very often there'd just be two or three of them to about twenty or thirty teachers. So um, generally in our school you would hear things like you don't want to be working in a shop, you don't want to be a shop girl, this was that you should work hard and be more ambitious. and that implied a certain disdain for people who did ordinary things. And I think we as kids in the school were very aware of that, that we were constantly trying to weigh up um, the the kind of nasty attitude, if you like, um, and fight against that at the same time as, 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 as trying to think, well, you know, everybody would like to do what they want to do and you want to be what you want to be. But if you grow up in a place where people have large families. Um, One part of you, out of a kind of loyalty, wants to be just like that. And then another part of you, um, I expect you're really quite uh, uh, affected by the people around you, by the people in your family and maybe by teachers in school and things like that. So I suppose the atmosphere we were in, in the particular school I went to, was one that was fairly positive and low-key. Look, you can do things if you try, but Make sure it's what you want to do. Don't just do things. Think about them and do them. You are listening to a podcast from Camden Community Radio.
1: www.ccradio.org